All right. Thank you all so very, very much. Wow, that was good. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I'm a little relieved, just to be honest with you. See that choir coming down? Not long ago, I heard about this pastor, and, and, and he had a little problem. He didn't know when to start. He'd start preaching, and he didn't know when to start. Uh, they started the service uh, every week, and he got up to preach every Sunday about 1130, and he'd go from 1130 to 12, 1230, oftentimes 1 o'clock. And uh, people didn't know what to do. Well, one night on a Saturday night, they had an associational meeting. A Baptist came together, and the moderator, when he got through uh, uh, officiating over the business meeting of the association, there was a rail that most churches have that protect the pastor from the choir. And he just laid that gavel on that rail. And, and uh, the next Sunday morning, true to form, here goes the pastor. 11.30, 12, 12.30, 1. Now it's 1.30. He's never been that long. And he's going strong. And he's one of those guys that paced the whole time he preached, back and forth, back and forth. Well, the choir stayed up. The lady next to the end of that choir punched the lady on the end and said, hand me that gavel. She said, what are you going to do? So I'm going to knock him in the head. She said, you can't do that. That's our pastor. She said, you want to hear him preach all day? So she handed her the gavel. And she waited patiently. He was over here pacing back and forth. And then he came over here. And as he did, she stood up. She wasn't going to miss. She brought that gavel, brought that gavel down. But just a moment, that gavel was going to make contact with his head. He gestured like this. And when he did, the gavel slipped out of her hand. And she hit a dear sister on the second row right between the eyes. Out she went. Well, the preacher saw her go out. He didn't know why she went out. And he did what preachers do when they're... They're preaching and something happens. They don't know what to do. He kept on preaching. Well, her friend sitting next to her picked up one of those funeral home fans that most churches have in their, in, in their pews and starts fanning her. And in a few moments, she came around and she looked up at her friend and here's what she said. Hit me again, I can still hear him. Well, hopefully, it won't be that long today. Have you got your Bible with you? If you do, open your Bible up with me tonight, today to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And look with me, if you will, in verse 17. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. Sure, I'm glad Alabama won yesterday. I was just beside myself. 517, from henceforth, I'm from Tennessee. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. When Paul wrote that, everybody seemed like they had some kind of mark, some kind of characteristic on his body, and so everybody could identify real, real well with what the Apostle Paul was saying. But he identifies now, he says, I want to share with you the marks, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now then, and and as today, as we think about the marks, I want to share with you a sermon that I simply entitled the marks of a Christian. And just a couple of marks today I want to share with you. Mark number one is what I'm going to call the birthmark, the birthmark. Do you remember in the book of John, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus. Remember him? And he came to Jesus one night. And the reason why he came at night, because he just couldn't wait till the next day. And he came to him and he said, what must I do? What must I do in order to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I got to do to go to heaven? Now, Jesus looked at that religious man. He was probably more religious than any one of us here today. He looked at that religious man. You know what he said to him, don't you? He said, you must be what? Born again. That's right, class. You get an A. You must be born again. Now, Nicodemus, if you're going to go to heaven, you must be born again. Now, in order to go to heaven, you've got to be born again. So I think it would do us, uh, do us well today to have a clear understanding of what it means to be born again, don't you? Well, 
over in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke is writing, and here's what he says, testifying the Jew and also the Greek. Repentance toward God and faith to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, in order for there to be a salvation experience, there must be repentance and there must be faith. Now, if you're going to be born again, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be born again. If you're going to be born again, you've got to have repentance and faith. So now then, I think it would be good for us to understand repentance and faith, don't you? Now, what is repentance and faith? Well, first of all today, let's talk about faith. What is faith? I think that's so misunderstood. There are a lot of people today that think faith is just positive thinking. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I believe this is going to happen, and so it's going to happen. Not hardly. Faith is not just positive thinking. Now, it's good to be positive, isn't it? Don't you rather be around somebody that's positive than somebody that's negative? Boy, I sure had. Some time ago, I went to have lunch with this pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's close to where I live. I came home and told my wife, I said, I'm never going out with that guy to have lunch with him again. She said, why? I said, that's the most negative, critical person I think I've ever been around. And, and, and what he's got is contagious, and I don't want to catch it. Negative, critical. My goodness, I'm around people that claim to be born again so negative and critical. It's just unbelievable. So faith is just not positive thinking. But you ought to be positive. I heard about this guy got drafted. And when he got drafted, they... Uh, they had some booths set up, and they were taking some information. And, and he came to booth number one. They said, what's your blood type? And he said, A. And they said, well, what's your uh, RH factor? And he said, negative. He goes to the third booth, and they said, what's your religion? He says, Baptist. The rest of his life, he was A, negative, Baptist. Now, don't you be like that. You be positive, but that's not faith. But we know what faith is. The Bible defines faith for us, doesn't it? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. That's exactly right. So, so uh, boys and girls, this morning, faith is not faith unless, first of all, God has spoken. So faith is my positive response to what God has already said. Can we agree on that? If we can, say amen. All right. Now, so that's faith. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is illustrated so well in the life of the prodigal son. Do you remember him? Uh, he went to his daddy one day and says, Daddy, one of these days you're going to die. And when you die, I'm going to get half the inheritance. He had an older brother. I'm going to get half the inheritance. I want mine now. And you know what his dad did? No, he didn't knock him down, sir. He should have. He gave it to him. The Bible says he went to a far country, probably Atlanta, Georgia. And there he lived it up. I mean, he got the nicest apartment he could find. He had the latest soundtracks every day. Every night was one great big old party. Every day he just kind of laid around the pool. I mean, he had it made. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, he was surrounded by the best friends that money can buy. And you know what happened to him? When you've got a lifestyle like that, you waste money, don't you? Yeah. He didn't have anything in his uh, IRA raw. He wasted. The next scene, you know where he's at? Hog pen. You know what hogs eat? What do hogs eat? Slaw. Do you know how to make slaw? Take your pen and paper. I'll give you a recipe right now. Here's how you make slaw. You get your bucket, sit on the outside of your house. In a few moments, you'll understand why it's on the outside of your house. And whenever you uh, 
I know what happened this morning, probably here, every married man, every married couple this morning, I know exactly what probably happened to your house. Your wife got up about an hour before you did so she can make you homemade biscuits and grits. And uh, it didn't happen to anybody else's house either. After you got through scraping that uh, cold cereal into that bowl, what was left over in that bucket? Today after lunch, you scrape whatever's left over into that bucket. I was in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, three years ago, the uh, third week of May, and they had a drought, and they saved their water. I mean, they had drought. You're talking about dry. It was dry. Let me tell you how dry it was. It was so dry that the Baptists started sprinkling to conserve water. And the Methodists used a washcloth. I mean, that's dry, folks. That's dry. And so you save your water and you pour it in that bucket. The sun beats down that bucket. And you look in there and it kind of changes colors. You think it's alive. It's alive. And you take that, you take that bucket full of stuff called slop. And you pour it into a trough. That's what hogs eat out of. It's called a trough. A hog trough. Now that's good for hogs, but that's bad for boys. Get the picture now. This boy's up to his knees in all that mud and muck in that hog pen. And he sticks his hand down there in that old slimy, that old slimy slop. And he comes out with a gnawed on pork chop bone. You think that a tough on Survivor? This guy's really got it bad. He's about to eat on that pork chop bone. And the Bible says he comes to himself. Now, do you know what that means? I read that for years. Here's what that means. That means this boy was temporarily insane. Now, you listen to what I'm going to tell you, and you listen real carefully, because this may be the most important thing I'll tell you all week long. Sin will short-circuit your brain. Your brain gets short-circuited, then you don't think right. What boy is going to leave a, a, an affluent father with everything, servants and everything, to eat with the hogs in the hog bin? Every once in a while I'll see this handsome, handsome man. I mean, he's got a beautiful, drop-dead, beautiful wife. Two kids, just a little boy, a little girl, look just great. And all of a sudden, this guy starts running around with some old ugly hag. Now, why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Sin. The farther you go, the less you think rationally. This boy, this boy was insane in that hog pen, eating with hogs. So now then, he comes to himself. And he says, I'm going to turn my back on these hogs. I'm going to turn my back on this slop. I'm going to turn my back on all this old mud and muck in this hog pen. And I'm going to rise and go to my father. Now notice the difference in his attitude. When he left, he said, Daddy, give me. He goes back. Now he says, Father, make me as one of the hard servants. Do you see the difference in that boy's attitude? That's what repentance is. You change your mind about your sin. You change your mind about the Lord. You turn your back on your sin. And then by faith, believing God, where God says, I'll save you if you'll call upon me. By faith, you invite Jesus Christ in your life. And guess what happens? You get born again. But let me tell you what the devil will do. The devil will offer you some, what I'm going to call salvation substitutes. Let 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 me share two salvation substitutes with you. Salvation substitute number one. The old devil will tell you just to have a good life. Just live a good life. Just live a good life. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong with living a good life. And I know that people in this part of Alabama are are sweet and dear and kind people. 
You ought to live a good life, but a good life's not going to take you to heaven. For 20 years, I've been an evangelist. For, before that, for 24 years, I was a pastor. I pastored the same church for 13 years of those 24. And one Sunday, it was just a regular Sunday. It wasn't a revival Sunday. It was just a regular Sunday. Just a normal Sunday. I stood and preached that day, and uh, we started our service. And I stood and preached at... Uh, I gave the invitation at 11.30. We started our service a little earlier than you all did. I stood and preached, gave the invitation at 11.30. Invitation went from 11.30 to 1.30 that afternoon. Now, before you panic, that's just happened one time. <laughs> at the end of that service that day, we had 56 people say. Now, let me tell you about those 56. 13 of the 56 were Sunday school teachers. Three deacons got saved that day. And you know what I learned? I learned deacons do better when they get saved. It really does help. (laughs) And let me tell you about another lady that got saved that day. Her name was Mary Almond. Let me tell you about Mary. When Mary got saved, here's what she was doing in the church when she got saved. She was the WMU director. She uh, was the deacon's wife. Sunday school teacher. On the nominating committee on the church council, five jobs. Those are the five jobs she had when she got saved. Here was Mary's story. She's given her testimony a number of times. When I'm in the area, her and her husband will come to revival, and I'll ask her to share a testimony. Here's how it goes. When she was an infant, she got sprinkled. When she was nine years old, she went to a vacation Bible school in a Baptist church. And somebody said, if you love Jesus and want to go to heaven, stand up. She loved Jesus, you want to go to heaven, she stood up. At age 12, she went through these confirmation classes. When she successfully completed those confirmation classes, she became a member of the church. At 19, she married Alan. Alan said, I'm a Baptist, you're not a Baptist. I want you to be a Baptist. I want you to join my church. So at 19, Mary walked down the aisle. She shook the hands with the pastor. And the pastor didn't say, Mary, you ever been born again? Mary, do you know Jesus Christ? If he died right now, do you know for certain that heaven be your home? Here's what he said. He's a Baptist. We're Baptists. You understand this. We Baptists don't make a difference who you are, where you've been, where you're going. We're going to baptize you. So he said, Mary, you've got to get baptized. So the next week, next week she got baptized. She'd been sprinkled as an infant, stood up because she loved Jesus, wanted to go to heaven. Went through confirmation classes, successfully completed confirmation classes. Got fully, totally immersed. She's a sweet lady. I was her pastor for 13 years. We never had one crossword in 13 years. Never. Not, not, not anything that even resembled a crossword. Because she was so sweet, she becomes the WMU director. Husband got ordained, she becomes the deacon's wife. Becomes a Sunday school teacher. Because of her position now, she's on the nominating committee of the church council. Just one problem. She never had really been born again. Now, folks, it's not enough just to live a good life. Do you realize that? We come to church and we put on a coat and tie or dress and uh, 
That's not enough. Live a good life. It's not enough to live a good life. That's a, that's a salvation substitute that the devil offers today instead of true repentance and faith. Second of all, the devil offers you a good church. I already like this church. I do. I've known your pastor for many years. I consider him to be one of my dearest of friends. There, I just can't tell you all of the wonderful things and the kind things that he's done for me. Thousands of dollars through the churches that he's pastored, that he's encouraged people to give thousands of dollars to come into my ministry to help me. I love him. His wife, his two boys, just a wonderful family. Now you realize when you got him, you got a keeper. You do realize that, don't you? Yeah. I'm a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. If he's a largemouth bass, we would mount him. I mean, that's, that's the kind of guy he is. And I enjoy the music. Brother, I enjoy the music. I do remember Gospel Jubilee. I do. If I could sing, I'd sing a little tune. Yeah, I do remember that. It was just the old folks that raised their hand. I noticed that remembered the Gospel Jubilee. Yeah. Kind of music. That's the kind of music I like. I like the way you blend it all together. I like that. The day he wore my crown. I hadn't heard that in a long time. Boy, that was good. The day he wore my crown. Did you like that? I guess that's probably about my all-time second favorite song. My favorite song is Rocky Top. So you can come to a great church like this where people are friendly with a great pastor, great music program. You can come to a church like this, but now listen to me. It's not enough. To be a member of a church like this. Are you aware of that? I was in First Southern Baptist Church, San Diego, California. I'm on Eastern time. I'm an hour ahead of you all. You know what that means when the Lord comes again? I'll have one hour seniority before we get up there. Well, I was in Colorado two hours behind. California is way behind me time. You know what I'm saying? Three hours. I got in there on that Saturday night and, and my, it was daylight, but my body said it's time to go to bed. I woke up the next morning, there were still hours of darkness. I got to there to preach that day, and I was sitting beside the pastor on the front row. And, and now, my, by my body, it's already in the afternoon. I mean, it's, it's the wash, morning worship service, but my body says it's already 1.30 in the afternoon. And, uh, and it's getting closer to 2. And uh, he put his arm around me and said something to me. Have you ever seen two preachers sitting side by side, and all of a sudden they start talking? Have you ever wondered what they're talking about? I'm going to tell you right now. It's always something very spiritual. Always. Without exception. He put his arm around me and in his most spiritual voice, here's what he said. He said, Morris, do you like seafood? In my most spiritual voice, I said, I love seafood. That's my favorite. He said, that's good because after church, I'm taking you to the best seafood restaurant in all of San Diego, California. And you're going to put the best she crab soup in your mouth. You had ne- you ever put it in there before? I knew it'd be the best because I never put any she crab soup in my mouth. I remember walking to preach that day. I was praying, Lord, help me preach a short sermon. I'm so hungry. I preached that day, gave an invitation. Seventeen people got saved that Sunday morning. We lined them up across the front. So I was going down through there, shaking their hands and just saying a word to them, word of encouragement. And I passed this lady, and never will forget it. She reached out and grabbed me. Now she didn't grab me and hug me. People do that all the time. Not long ago, I, three weeks ago, I think, this lady grabbed me and hugged me. I mean, I, first time I met her, put my hand, 
No, she said, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a shaker. I'm a hugger. So I'm about to smother. So finally I kind of peered up at her and I said, how you doing? She looked at me and said, not so well. I think I got the flu. So if you're a hugger and not a shaker and you got the flu, hug this guy right here. Don't hug me, okay? May Staley said, she grabbed me like this. She said, I want to tell you my story. She said, I live across the street from First Southern Baptist Church, 40 years. She said, when they moved locations to this area, my husband and I, neither one were church people, and I remember the, the grand opening. We, that's what she called it, the grand opening. She said, we went to the grand opening. She said, money was nice. The music was good. The preaching was great. And then the pastor said, now, if anybody would like to join First Southern Baptist Church, come on and join right now. Well, she said, I'm standing there. All of a sudden, my husband nudges me and said, May, let's go join the church. We weren't church people. That shocked me. But I said, okay. So we went forward. He shook our hand, had us to have a seat. They took a little clipboard, filled out a little car. The next week, we got baptized. She said, that's been 40 years ago. And for 40 years, there's been something missing in my life. Now, you listen to me, dear friend. That something is not a something. That something is a somebody. Listen, when you get born again, you don't get Methodist religion. You don't get Lutheran religion. You don't get Baptist religion. You don't get Catholic religion. You don't get charismatic religion. When you get born again, you get a person, Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus Christ living in you today, you've never been born again. Now, I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture. going to help, going to help some folks right now. There's some folks right now, when I read this passage of Scripture, let me tell you what's going to happen. God's going to convict you, and you're going to know that today you need to get saved. In, in, back in Galatians chapter 5, uh, I hope you still got your finger there. And, and I want you to look with me, if you will, please, now. In Galatians chapter 5, let's back up just a few verses. Galatians chapter 5. Now, when you get there, wait on me. Look at verse 19, Galatians 5, 19. Now, now, when someone's born again, they're walking in the Spirit, aren't they? So the Bible talks about the Spirit versus the flesh. So if a person's walking in the flesh, that means they're lost. They've never been born again. So listen to what the Bible says. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now, listen to the works of the flesh. This is what the flesh produces. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, adultery. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness. Drunkenness. Can you believe that? Drunkenness. And such like of which I tell you before, as I also told you in times past. Now Paul said, I've told you this before. I've preached this message before, but I'm preaching it again. I'm telling you again. Uh, I tell you, I tell you, uh, which I tell you before, as I've also told you, uh, as I also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Say that with me. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. One more time. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, did you notice what he said? First of all, adultery. Now, what is adultery? Adultery is this. It's when two people. Now, both of them may be married, but not to each other. Two people, again, they may be married, and they have sexual relationships. The Bible calls that adultery. 
And the Apostle Paul said, I've told you this before. I'm telling you again, this is important. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, Morris, let me tell you what I think. Who cares what you think? I'm telling you what God says. That's black print on white paper that we call the word of God. And the Bible says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornication, what's fornication? In some places in the Bible, the word fornication is an, it indicates an umbrella where it contains all kinds of sexual sin, but not here. In this particular passage of Scripture, it's talking specifically about two single people. Two people that are not married. They have sexual relationships. And the Bible say, calls that fornication. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I, I, I've told you before. I'm telling you again, this is so important. Listen to it. That's what he's saying. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, now this is what's so... I don't care what Dr. Oz says. Or Dr. Spock or Dr. Phil. I'm telling you what God says. Now listen, folks. There is a cure. And the cure is to be born again. The Apostle Paul right later on say, and such were some of you, but you got washed. Washed how? Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now listen to me. First of all, and I'm just going just, to just briefly mention the second point. First of all, the mark of a Christian. Birthmark. But later, the Bible would say this, repent and be baptized. So you get saved. Second mark, I'm going to call the water mark. You get baptized. Does baptism, does baptism say? Absolutely not. There's no, there's no salvation in water if it's, a, if it's a spoonful, a teaspoonful, or a baptistry full, or an ocean full. There's only salvation in Jesus. Does that mean that baptism is not important? No, that means baptism is important. Because, let me tell you the reason why. First of all, baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection. We understand identifying marks, don't we? Yeah. I saw a young guy, handsome guy, walk down through here a while ago when we were shaking hands. I walked up to him. I looked at his shirt, and he had a great big old A on his shirt. You know what I said to him? How in the world can we have revival? You weren't at Alabama shirt. I knew immediately what, what the deal was, didn't I? Yeah. He's an Alabama fan. Yeah. Where I live, it's orange. Last week, I was in South Carolina, 11 miles from, from Clemson University. Everybody warned, just the wrong color. We're familiar with identifying characteristics. That, that ring on my finger, what does that mean? That identifies me as being married, right? Sure. I remember when I got married, I was there. I remember what took place. The minister looked at me and said, Morse, do you take darling to be your lawfully wedded husband? Wife. <laughs> Whew, let's clarify that. Wife. Wife. W-I-F-E. Wife. Do you take darling to be your wife? To love, honor, and sickness, and health, and set adversary and prosperity, and be true and loyal to her as long as you both shall live? Great day. What a decision to make. I didn't have enough information. I didn't know she couldn't cook. 
Yeah. We got married, went away to our one-night honeymoon, came back. The next seven days, same dish. She could only do one. Spaghetti. Seven days in a row. I told that story in Rome, Georgia, just like that. A guy stood up right in the middle of the service and said, Buddy, it was hamburger helper for me seven days in a row. <laughs> After seven days, you know what we had? The next day, leftovers. A lot of them. But I said, I do. She said, I do. Slip that ring on my finger. Identifies me as being married. Whenever I was right before my ninth birthday, right before my ninth birthday, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I didn't know a lot about him. I'm ashamed to admit this. I still don't know as much as I should. But I knew I was a sinner. And I knew he was the Savior. And if I, I knew if I'd say I do, he would say I do. And he saved me. And you know what? Nobody had to beg me to get up there and get baptized. Nobody had to beg me. Nobody had to try to trick me. Somebody won't get baptized. I'll put a question mark as high as the steeple is if they've really been saved. What's the meaning of baptism? Identification. It identifies us. It identifies us with Jesus Christ. What is the, uh, what's the method? The method is, is immersion. Why is the method important? It's very important. You change the method, you change the meaning. The method is the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the reason why we baptize in, in a pool full of water. To symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture. Pictures are important. My wife's not with me this week. Uh, and, and perhaps you'd come up to me and say, what well, do you have a picture of your wife? Well, I take my phone. Used to keep them in my billfold. Now I've got everything on my phone. I start thumbing through there. Now, my wife and I live right in the mountains of East Tennessee. The Smoky Mountains are in our backyard. We got a farm, raise animals. We raise cattle, and goats, and sheep, donkeys. I raise and train border collies. That's what I do. My wife's not with me, so I look at my phone. Can't find a picture of my wife. Some time ago, here's what a guy told me. He said, don't make a difference how you get baptized. It's a thought that counts. So I find a picture of my billy goat. But I show it to you and think about my wife. Does that count? No. You change the picture, you change the, uh, the, the, uh, you change the method, you change the meaning. And then what's the motive to get baptized? Let me tell you the motive. First of all, obedience. That should be good enough. Lord says, do it. You all do it, shouldn't you, brother? Obedience. Joy. Did you never, you realize you're never going to have joy apart from obedience? Are you aware of that? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That's more than just words of a song. You do realize that, don't you? And then it's a testimony. When I was a pastor one day, I walked in the University of Tennessee Hospital. I was going to visit a man I'd never met before. I walked in there, his name was Mr. Spradling. I walked in there and was talking to him and over in the corner sat his son. Well, as I talked to him, I finished talking with him. I looked at his son. I said, sir, uh, now he's a big boy. Sitting down, he was tall as I was standing up. That's how big he was. I said, uh, Danny, have you ever uh, trusted Christ as your Savior? He says, no, sir, but i sure have been thinking about it lately. It's funny that you mentioned that. In about, in about five minutes, I led Danny to the Lord. The next Sunday... People come to me, Danny Spradlin's here, Danny Spradlin's here. Well, I didn't, it didn't really have any significance to me. Anybody here recognize the name Danny Spradlin? 
Anybody? Well, if you were in East Tennessee, you would. Danny Spradlin was a linebacker for the University of Tennessee, got drafted, played professional football for Tom Landry and the Dallas Cowboys. Got traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, had back injury, and had to leave professional football. He went from rags to riches to rags. When I met him, he was broke. That day he got saved. Now, he was a big boy. Linebacker, professional linebacker. You can imagine how big he was. I mean, when he stood up, he just kept on standing up. An old boy got saved over in uh, West Tennessee over by Union University. Got saved one night. He was seven feet, two inches tall. Never will forget it. I, was, I wasn't trying to really get information. I was just making conversation. He held his hands. I got a picture. He held his hands like this, about this much over my head. So I'm just talking to him. I said, you play basketball? He said to me, do you play miniature golf? <laughs> Lost his salvation that quick. Can you imagine that? Oh, daddy had arms. I mean, his muscles, he was built. We baptized him. He came that Sunday morning. People got saved. We baptized him then. We had robes and towels and we they got saved. We, we were the church of Christ, but we acted like it. And so uh, old Danny came forward and we ran him back there. Normally I didn't baptize anybody. But for whatever reason, some of my staff members were not available and so I baptized him. And so I get back there and the guy helped me baptize. We had these tight fitting robes. They just slip all their clothes off and slip these robes on. But they're, you know, they, they, they fit snug. So, you know, for privacy. And uh, the guys helped me says, Pastor, we haven't got a robe to fit that old boy. He said, I found two. I found two that I could get over his shoulders. But then I could, his arms, I was afraid that he couldn't get them back up through the armholes. As big as he was, I was afraid you'd get him down and couldn't get him up and he'd drown. He had on a white t-shirt and a pair of jeans. I said, send him in there with that t-shirt and jeans. He walked in there. Now he's huge, muscled up. I had to wrap him around the baptism, baptism pool twice. Put him down, stood him up. Now that tight t-shirt is wet and you can see those big bulging muscles. You can see that big old barrel chest and those rippling stomach muscles standing up there. He and I side by side. We look like identical twins standing up there side by side. (laughs) Well, I give another invitation from the baptistry. Yeah, I didn't give one invitation. I give another one. Well, I give that invitation and, and and a guy just jumps up. He comes right up there and he stands here like this right here, like looking up there at the baptistry. He said, me and Danny, we were beer drinking buddies in high school. And then he starts confessing more sin before I could get him stopped. He said, when I saw Danny get baptized, something within me told me I needed to get born again. Listen, friend, why? Because it's a testimony. It's a testimony. Now listen to me. I'm done. Listen. If you died right now, do you know for certain that heaven be your home? Now I'm talking to some folks this morning and, and, and you know that if you died, heaven would not be your home. I may be talking to another group this morning and you're not sure. Well, boy, I got some good news for you today. This is a good news revival, isn't it? The gospel, gospel revival, good news. I've got some good news for you today. You can know it today before you leave. 
Man, you've been living in such a way. You've been living. Listen, folks, I say this all the time. If you live like the devil, when you die, you're going to go to the devil. Somehow we got this idea we can just live these ungodly lives and all of a sudden we die. We're going to be, we're going to be just like we would never sinned. What it is if you get saved. But now you listen to me. When you get saved, when you get born again, God puts a new desire in your heart and life. You know the reason why I've been preaching now for about 45 years? No, it's not because I'm a goody two-shoes. You follow me around very long, you realize that? Because God saved me and changed me and put a desire in my heart to serve Him. Heads about, eyes are closed. No one looking around. Here's how you get born again. Step one, you've got to realize you're a sinner. That's all of us. Step two... You've got to believe in your heart that Jesus lived and died and was buried and rose from the dead. Do you believe that? If you do, today you can be born again. Step three. Today, if you'll be willing to turn from your sins. And today, that's repentance. And today, by faith, trust Christ into your life. You can be born again right now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's going to go like this, dear Jesus. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. If that prayer represents the desire of your heart, I'm going to invite you right now to pray that prayer and be saved. Pray that prayer right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray. Pray right now. Pray. This is not a prayer of dedication, recommitment. It's a prayer to be saved. Pray, dear Jesus. That's right. You pray silently. I'll pray out loud. God will hear your prayer. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. And save me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer just then and you meant it. If you prayed that prayer just then and you meant it, not ashamed of it. No one looking around. But if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, not ashamed of it. Would you just raise your hand? Yes, I prayed that prayer. Raise them up. Raise them up. Yes, there's a hand and another hand and another hand and another hand and another hand. Someone else, yes, I prayed that prayer. I'm not ashamed of it. Thank you, you may put your hands down. Somebody else, yes, I prayed that prayer to ask Christ to save me. I'm looking in the balcony. Somebody in the balcony, yes, thank you. God bless you. Somebody else in the balcony, yes, back over here. God bless you. Let me ask one more time. I don't want to leave anybody out. No, I don't want anybody left out today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it. If you've already raised your hand, you don't need to raise it again. But if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you didn't raise your hand a few moments ago, but you prayed that prayer and you meant it, not ashamed of it. Raise your hand right now. Yes, I prayed that prayer. Yes, God bless you. God bless you and you. Someone else. Yes, thank you. All right, now listen. Oftentimes in a service just like this, oftentimes, in almost every service, there are those who have prayed to receive Christ in their life, but for whatever reason, whatever reason, they choose not to raise their hand. And then sometimes they leave thinking, oh, God's mad at me. No, God's not mad at you. If you prayed that prayer and didn't raise your hand, God is not mad at you. Did you hear me? I'm certainly not. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask everybody in the building, everybody in the building that prayed that prayer and asked Christ to come in their life and save them, I'm going to ask everybody in the building that prayed that prayer just to look up here at me right now. Just to look up here at me and keep looking until our eyes meet. Man, would you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? Not your, good. Did you pray that prayer? Good. Did you? Did you, ma'am? Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it with all your heart? Great. Keep looking right up here at me. 
back over here. Did you pray that prayer, sir? Did you mean it? God bless you. Keep looking right up here at me. Back over here. Did you pray that prayer? Did you pray that prayer, sir? Wonderful. Keep looking right up here at me. I don't want to leave anybody out today. I don't want anybody left out today. Did you pray that prayer, sir? Did you? Did you pray that prayer, sir? To be saved? Wonderful. Back in the back. Ma'am, did you pray that prayer to be saved? Did you? Great. Keep looking right up here at me. Keep looking right up here at me. I'm looking in the balcony. You prayed that prayer. Did you pray that prayer? Did you nod your head? Yes, if you did. All right. Did you? Back in the middle section. Did you pray that prayer? Raise your hand if you prayed that prayer in the middle section of the balcony. Did you? All right. Good. God bless you. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All over the building. All over the building. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know I overlooked some. In just a moment, the pastor is going to come and stand in the front facing me. Here's what I'm going to ask you all over the building. Ma'am, I believe your hand was the very first one that went up. I'm going to ask you and everyone else that prayed that prayer, everybody, back over here, sir, back up in the balcony, back over here, back over here, everybody in the way in the back. As soon as we stand to our feet, start singing. I'm going to ask you to come. He'll be standing facing me. I want to ask you just to stand beside him facing me. Now, the reason why I do it that way, that way you're not facing the, the congregation, just facing me. You say, what happens when I get there? I'm going to pray with you, sir, and for you. So when you leave today, you're going to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. Will you do that today, sir? Step forward by the pastor. Great. And ma'am, will you do that? And will you do that? And will you? Will you do that today, ma'am? Will you do that? Back over here, back in the back. Will you do that today? Step forward and come stand beside our pastor. In the balcony, you that prayed that prayer in the balcony, just leave as soon as we stand and sing. Just leave, come down those stairs, and come right down here and join our, our pastor. Father, thank you for those who've already indicated they've prayed and invited you in their life. I pray now as we stand and sing, they will slip out and come and stand beside our pastor. In Jesus' name I pray.